Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Friday morning, the 1st of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. This is the introduction to the programme. Uh, good morning. Um, I'm not really sure what to say to you this morning, if I'm to be absolutely honest. I'm uh, completely stuck for words, truth be told. I'm looking at a local politician, Imelda Munster is in the studio with me, and I think anybody listening to us will agree that this is one of the hardest politicians that you could ever find yourself in front of. And I think many people who have sat in chairs in the Public Accounts Committee or the Media Committee will testify to that. Uh, She is uh, somebody uh, who is to be reckoned with and has become a rising star within the Sinn Féin party. I think there's a a big expectation that Sinn Féin will win the next election and will form the next government and that Imelda Munster will be part of that government and will take up her role uh, as whatever minister she becomes. Uh, But uh, I'm getting dirty looks from uh, somebody uh, who is not afraid to mince her words. I actually have no questions for Imelda Munster, uh, at least not yet. I probably will have later on. I apologise uh, for uh, the waffle. Uh, but let's get to the substance. Imelda Munster, you have an announcement to make. Good morning to you, Mike. Yes, um, I've, the announcement is that I won't be seeking re-election um, when this doll term ends. Uh, I've made that decision a long time ago. I had always said, firstly, I've been an elected rep for 20 years. And from the very first day that I was elected, I didn't expect to be elected in the first instance. But when I was um, elected to the council in 2004, it was a day or two afterwards when I got over the shock, actually. And I'd said to myself, right, the people of Drogheda have put their trust in you. And I thought, I'm going to get my head around this work as hard as I can for them and do my very best. And then things progressed. After each election, uh, my vote seemed to go up. And um, in 2016, I was asked, the party asked me to stand for the general election. And I stood and got elected. And at that stage, I had said, um, if the people of Drogheda elected me, 
um, I had in the back of my mind, I'm only ever going to do two terms in uh, the doll. I had made that decision myself and at 20 years an elected rep now, I think um, it's time to, if you like, hand over the reins. Um, it's been my absolute honour and privilege to have been the, the chosen person for, for the people of Drogheda over that 20 year period and the resounding endorsement that they gave me in 2020 where I topped the poll. Um, and I think it was people told me afterwards that it was the highest vote that was ever um, given to any elected rep ever in this constituency. And what an honour that is. But um, and I know it's a cliche that, you know, people say, but literally and genuinely, it's probably the proudest day of my life. Um, having been given that um, endorsement by the people of Drogheda Louth and and East Mead over each each election term. And it was my privilege to work on their behalf. And there wasn't a single day. And I'm just picturing myself as I do every morning walking in the gates of Leinster House that Drogheda, Loud and our people were into the fore of my mind. And I think once you remain that rooted and determined to put up a fight for them um, at every corner, you know, then you'll always be grounded. And, you know, I'd, even with the endorsements, I never lost the run of myself. I'm just me. And I always just worked as hard as I could put up an unmerciful fight at times. Um and uh, did the best I could for the mm. people. I have a constituency office that's just non-stop. Uh, poor Rosemary, I don't know how she hasn't put on her coat loads of times and said, Melda, I can't hack this. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just um, what you're dealing with. That's um, probably uh, the world we live in uh, and uh, an indication of the amount of problems uh, that so many people are, are facing with where they're coming to local TDs yes. for help. But yes, ju ju just to be clear, you're announcing your resignation, but uh, you will continue as a TD until the next general election. Oh which, God, I'll continue to work as I've always yeah, done. That may not be until March of 25. 20, yes, yeah. oh mm -hmm. God, yes, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'll continue mm -hmm. to work till the, yeah. the, the, this doll term ends and right up until that day yeah. of that. Mm. Um, but the constituency office, I mean, it's just, it's very frustrating um, as an opposition TD when you're uh, trying to do your best for people that are coming in that are on long waiting lists in pain, waiting on hospital procedures. The housing crisis, it's just depressing. What mm. And the, the what, housing adaptation grants, all of that sort of thing. And you're, you're, it's frustrating because of the parameters that the government mm. set. And so many people are struggling and so many people are left behind and you have to put up a battle for every single one of them. Mm. And sometimes you don't manage to achieve what somebody's asking for you. It's not for the want of trying on my part. It's usually government policy prevents it. But you don't stop trying till you, you know, till you get. And my biggest buzz has always been you can talk about speaking in the doll mm. or videos going viral or my buzz has always been when I get something done mm. for people you know and yeah. something that they shouldn't have to fight for but if the country wasn't in the state that it is is as regards services housing mm. health all of that that people should 
smoothly get what they're entitled to without having to put up a battle a day for everything. You it's know? a very hard job and I, I, I'm sure you won't disagree. I, I think anybody uh, who has uh, the vote of uh, the people works for the people and that regardless of their politics all of the TDs have a very hard job and they work very hard uh, around the clock. You've been doing this for 20 years now and uh, I'm sure that it's been a big learning curve uh, over that time uh, because it is such a a demanding job Uh, and 20 years ago uh, Sinn Féin were riding a a wave Uh, it it really was uh, a a remarkable local election Mm -hmm. returning many councillors uh, many more than Sinn Féin could have ever anticipated uh, and you were amongst that crop uh, and indeed there was a a huge uh, election for Sinn Féin at the time and and then I think and correct me if I'm wrong Sinn Féin kind of stopped for a second and said "Uh, well we do now (laughs) it was unexpected in other words it was unexpected in 2004 it was myself and Dom Wilton and Matthew Coogan and um, when I was asked there was just myself and one other lady in the common and she was older so it was a female candidate and so I had said however reluctantly okay then okay so but myself, Dom and Matthew um, went out knocking doors and got the support of the people. And um, I think we, we fairly made our mark within the first year even of the mm. the, the borough council as it was at that time. And um, yeah, but it was, you know, we didn't expect that at the time. But, you know, as I said, I woke up and said, right, the people have voted for you. So... Mm work hard, represent them and how well, And how and things cha- have changed yeah. though. I mean, yeah. Louth never had a Sinn Féin TD before yes. Arthur Morgan. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah. uh, and Arthur had a, a huge vote yes. and changed that dramatically. Yes, and uh, built, and, built it up. And yeah. stepped down. Yes. Uh, would that have caused damage, people wondered, and could Gerry Adams bring home Arthur Morgan's vote? Of course he yes. did. Yes. Uh, and twice that amount and uh, brought uh, the party up that bit more uh, again. Uh, But after that, I think nationally things uh, have petered out a a little bit. Uh, There's been this consistent rise. Uh, Sinn Féin Mm -hmm. are undoubtedly the biggest party in in, uh, the country, according to the last general election and all of uh, the polls. But there seems to be a new wave and uh, a a new move uh, in terms of the support that your party is enjoying at the moment. Is this really the right time for you to step down? Did you consider that? Did you consider your career that you could have been in government, that you could have been a minister? I think that would have been the expectation locally at least. Uh, yeah, well, I suppose, firstly, I never saw politics as a career and I suppose I'm unusual in that sense uh, locally. Uh, I just never did. You know, I just saw it as being a job given to you by the people and, you you know, the people had the right to take it off you um, if you didn't work on their behalf. So I just, it was just a sense of pride I felt of being chosen by the people to represent them. So I never, ever saw it as a career. Um, but I had years back said I would only ever do two terms and whilst Sinn Féin as a party were doing really well in the polls but we never take anything for granted and there's one thing I'll say about um, my colleagues in Sinn Féin and our parliamentary meetings I mean I often sit there in awe and just every single one of us TDs are rooted for their community and every single one of us see all that is wrong in society and every single one of us daily battle to put those right. And I think 
the people sense that, you know, that on one one level, the government say, oh, all's well, the country's flying, we're doing this, that and the other. And yet people know the reality for so many is so different, is much different. And I think that has sowed the seeds amongst people for change, that they've seen the two main parties in government since the foundation of the state. And they've seen, you know, mm. promises made before election, nothing really changes. And I scratch my head every day and say, how could our health service be in such a mess? How could our housing crisis be so bad? Each of them have been in government consecutively. And that's where that swell for change is coming from. Mm. And I think people see Sinn Féin as that change, but we we certainly won't take anything for granted okay. at, at all. Uh, uh, and we work hard every day. But what I'm saying about the parliamentary meeting of our TDs and our party leadership is that the absolute commitment to bring about that change, mm. the absolute commitment to do right by people. And we'll go before the people with our manifesto and it's up to the people then. And when you say we, you continue to speak on behalf of Sinn Féin, I think it's clear listening to you that there hasn't been any pressure on you to make this decision. Is it a completely personal decision? Uh, you remain on as a member of Sinn Féin and there's been no falling out of any sort. Oh no, 100%, uh, per, 100% mm. personal. I've been in Sinn Féin since I was, I think, 18 and a half, so mm. a decade ago. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I've <laughs> been in Sinn Féin since I was just over the 18, like, yeah. so, um, I know I'm going nowhere. I'll be a member of the Common. I'll yeah. be active. I'll be out canvassing. I'll be, you know, mm. I, I told you before. And what else uh, will you do? I mean, after the next I election? I don't know. What, I haven't yeah. thought. I, I actually haven't thought. I just had said, you know, I wasn't going to be mm. staying on forever. Yeah. And 20 years, though, if you make comparisons to others, but to me, 20 years is long enough, you know, mm. and I know a lot of people are particularly political opponents would think mm. that would be alien to them to do that um, given the, you know. Yeah. But for me, I've just always just been me and I've said it mm. hasn't changed me at all. And I I've take just it though said, you won't be sitting down with a, a good book pipe and slippers that you'll be active. Oh uh, God, because, yeah. God, I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> you must just sleep and work like any TD. Yes, at the moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, mm. it's full on and I've, um, my two daughters are living abroad and there's times you'd love to see them more and you don't get the chance and they were only Dara was seven Ivan mm. was three when I was first elected and she, you know you just life goes so fast goes mm. by so fast but no no I haven't decided what I'll do but I'm not somebody to do nothing but as regards Sinn Féin I'm as committed as the day I, I joined okay. all those years Very ago. good. Alright uh, it, it is surreal you've just made a, a significant uh, announcement uh, but uh, on Monday, we'd a uh, similar announcement from Fergus O'Dowd, your Fine Gael colleague in the constituency. Uh, Melda Munster announcing today uh, that she won't be running in the next general election. Surreal, as I say, the uh, change in this constituency uh, is going to be uh, massive uh, after the next general election. Uh, it's going to be a completely different political landscape. But will you stay with us for a minute and uh, we can talk some more after the break. Michael at lmfm.ie The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. The 658 
Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Now, there's uh, people uh, across uh, the constituency of Loud and East Meath uh, who are very taken aback at the news that Imelda Munster has just announced that she will not be standing in the next general election. She's with us in studio uh, and looking back on the 20 years that she has served in public life. Uh, you've never been an apologist for the IRA and you've always said that you supported uh, the campaign uh, uh, and um, it, it's something that uh, is quite often seen by people as a negative aspect uh, of Sinn Féin and works against them electorally. Uh, do you think that uh, we've moved on to a stage where young people take that into account? No doubt we'll be hearing it uh, in the next general election campaign. Heather Humphreys actually was very strong condemning Sinn Féin uh, for the way it was uh, condemning the government's response uh, to uh, the rioting in Dublin and so on um, just last week, or just this week, in fact. Uh, but do you think that uh, Sinn Féin's connection with a paramilitary organisation will hurt your vote as it has in the past? No, I don't think so whatsoever. Um, I've said before on public records that I supported the armed struggle and that I've spent my life looking, working towards the reunification of our country and I've never made apologies for that and never will. The fact of the matter is we've a peace process um, in place for a quarter of a century now. I think the rest of the world looks to Ireland um, in relation to how peace can be built and Sinn Féin were front and centre of that mm. peace process. But you know you know that there's many people who have said, I'll never vote Sinn Féin because of the troubles. Uh, and there's many people who would still say that today. Uh, and no matter what happens, they will always feel that way. Mm -hmm. Do you think, though, that they've uh, become older or passed away uh, and that there's a younger generation coming behind that don't remember the troubles who don't feel the same way? I think there's, a, there's certainly a younger generation that, um, you know, their lifetime... They have, and they're lucky that they mm. haven't witnessed the injustice of what went on um, in the six counties and how nationalists were treated and and the war in itself, you know. But they, they've they've never known anything but peace, and they see the work that Sinn Fein's doing. They they hear Sinn Fein, um, when Sinn Fein speaks in relation to say. Um, young people having to emigrate due to the housing crisis, uh, mental health services, the lack of mental health service, they see Sinn Féin as speaking to them. Mm. And so I don't think that's an issue whatsoever. I mean, a huge percentage of the youth of Ireland actually support Sinn Féin, um, a massive amount, and I think more and more um, when they see how badly their lives are affected mm. by government policy and the fact that the government has been there from forever and a day and nothing's improving from their lot you see mm. even Do students think, going to college yeah. and accommodation all of that sort of thing all of the pressures they face and little or no relief as if the government's not listening to them so mm. you know I, I definitely think um, that sense of what went on before has no relevance in today's mm. Ireland and I certainly don't I think people see Sinn Féin as um, 
the party that they want to represent them to bring about the change. Okay. And people will give you a chance. Mm. Well, would you be and concerned? That brings me to my next question. Would you be concerned that Sinn Féin is promising too much and that the young people who are supporting Sinn Féin now may be disappointed by a Sinn Féin government because they just won't be able to deliver or deliver quick enough? Well, Sinn Féin will set out their manifesto. What we won't do is make promises that we can't keep. And we've always said that. Um, we'll set out our manifesto, Ono Breen, our health spokesperson, Pierre Stoherty, our finance, David Cullinan, you couldn't get better. Um, spoke to our party leader, completely grounded in what's going on with people, Mary Lou MacDonald. Um, and we won't make promises that we can't keep. And, you know, we will deliver what we say we will deliver over that term. And mm. if people are happy with that and they mm. re-elect us again, if they d- if this yeah. happens then uh, we'll be able to deliver more. Mm. But certainly, as and I said to you... you'll be relying on transfers, of course, uh, and mm. you'll be looking uh, to other parties to form a coalition. Yes, yeah. Well, that'll all depend mm. on... As I said, we, we absolutely take nothing for granted. Mm. Every, you know, we go before the mm. people. Would you be happy with a Sinn fein Finnegal coalition? Um, no, I would be happy with a government to be Sinn Féin, to be in, in a government or a part of a government with or without... Or without Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. I think that's the only way Mm. you'll bring about change. And people just, people are are fair-minded and people will give you that chance to bring about that change. Mm. You know, people will know it mightn't happen the day after the election, but people when they see our determination Mm. to bring about that change. And as I said, that determination is born out of us every single day Mm. fighting for people where we know the systems are just not working. And Mm. so many people are abandoned, are left behind. So many people are struggling, you know, um, when you from our elderly right down to our youth, you have massive issues with um, housing adaptation grants, people trying to live independently in their homes, people living in absolute pain day in, day out, can't get into a bath, can't get up the stairs, waiting for a housing adaptation grant. You have people where there's sometimes four generations of a family. Mm. You have a, a mother in our her, her family home, a young mother with two children in a box room, you know, and maybe the the elderly parent isn't able for the children and the stress and all of that and maybe been on the waiting list for eight, nine years, could be working, doesn't qualify for affordable housing, you know, two euro over something else. It's just the whole system doesn't serve its purpose and certainly doesn't serve the public. And that's what we want to change. We want to bring about a better Ireland, Mm. an Ireland where the government works for the people. Mm as opposed to the, what it is it's, now. It's amazing uh, how passionate you still sound, given that you're stepping back from it. Is there any element of, of guilt? Uh, do you feel that you could do more? Um, I've I've loved the job from the day I took it. I've loved it. It's, it's frustrating. It's you're dealing with the government. Sometimes I think I'm banging my head off the wall. Um, I love Drogheda. I just... It's in, in my bones, but uh, and and loud and and East Mead, but um, I think you know I said to myself I was only going to do, and I think twenty years is enough um, for me personally. Um, I know my replacement, whoever they will be, will be equally committed um, to working hard for Drogheda, and I think it's important that you never lose the fight. That come hell or high water, you stand up for the people that that gave you their vote and you don't, you, you know, you mm. don't let up until you get 
what they they're entitled to and the best that they they can have mm. you know and i think that's something um so whilst i'm done with my role as an elected rep um i know whomever comes behind me will have the same fight in them that I will have, but I will always be a member of the party. And I'll, as I said, I'll be out canvassing, I'll be out working, I'll be uh, holding all our elected yeah. reps to account, you know, mm. to to push for things for people. Um, so, yeah, the passion's there. The passion doesn't leave you, I suppose, mm. you know, but... Um, well, there's I'd, one thing that you've been passionate about all of your life and it'll feature in the next Sinn Féin manifesto. As you say, the manifesto will... Uh, line out uh, what Sinn Féin would hope to do if it was in government uh, and uh, at the centre of all of that will be uh, United Ireland or reunited Ireland. Uh, that's something you've given a, a lot of your lifetime to. Do you believe uh, that that will happen anytime soon or that you'll live to see it? Oh God, I'm not going anywhere till I, <laughs> till I see it. Uh, you know, I remember speaking to older people and they said... Um, Oh, I mightn't see it in my lifetime, Melda. And I remember thinking, I'm not going anywhere till we, we, you know, it's the benefits that'll come. That's what I believe in. Apart from the fact as an Irish person, I want to see the reunification of my country. But it's the benefits that'll come from a united Ireland, an all-Ireland approach to transport, an all-Ireland approach to health, a community where everybody is treated equally regardless of race, colour or creed, um, where you have services in place, north, south, east and west, um, where you you eliminate inequality. Um, you know, just uh, mm. you're, you're as a nation, mm. you really are a nation once again then. And that's mm. that's been my longing. OK, um, but there's a, a group of people who regard themselves as I, I, Irish patriots uh, who believe that Sinn Féin is selling out Ireland uh, because of your pro-immigration stance, as they put it. Are you talking about the rioters? Yeah, um, I, 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 I look at them and they're waving the tricolour about and I say to myself, do they even know the meaning of the tricolour? Uh, they don't represent patriotism they in fact they represent the opposite of it and they don't even realize that um i think they've let they're letting their own country down you know if they claim to be patriotic they're letting their own country down their their rioting and their violence and their pure vile and the hatred that was coming from their mouths and mm. their their deeds and their actions they've um let their country down across the world. Mm. Uh, they've shown Ireland in a light that we've never experienced before mm. and um, they ought to be ashamed of themselves for and, that. And you contend they've been allowed run riot in, in uh, Dublin, uh, that law and order broke down, uh, that uh, the commissioner lost control and the minister has ultimate responsibility. And you said that you, as a party, uh, don't have confidence in either Commissioner Harris or Minister McEntee. Will there be a, a motion of no confidence in Minister McEntee? I'm not sure yet. I think the party's looking at that uh, today. But certainly um, what's stuck in my craw was uh, what we've seen the video, I think it was during the summer there of Minister McEntee walking through Dublin city centre and saying that Dublin was safe when she knew in her heart of hearts that it's not safe and it's and 
people are delusional if they think it, it's not safe. Unfortunately, it's not safe. And and sure, the guards will tell you themselves how under-resourced they are and undermanned and ill-equipped and, and all of that. And they're under severe pressure. And so at the end of the day, if you're a minister in government, the buck stops with you. And the buck stops with the Garda Commissioner as well. And do I think, looking at those, the footage... My gut feeling on that night, looking at that, like everybody else, was that they were overwhelmed in the first instance, but in particular, underprepared, mm. not prepared for it. And you could see it building. Mm. You could see it building. You could see the social media, the... the. OK, but I, I can't understand why Sinn Féin has not tabled a motion of confidence in Helen McEntee as yet. Uh, and uh, I'm not suggesting that Helen McEntee is doing anything but a very, very good job. But based on what Sinn Féin has said, on Monday, Pa Daly was here saying, well, uh, we'll see if Leo Vradkar sacks her. Uh, we'll give them 24 hours and then we'll make up our mind. Here we are on Friday. Uh, and no decision has been made yet, uh, but we've had all of the bluster. Uh, how about uh, putting something behind that now and well, tabling dull, this motion? The doll schedule is set for the week in advance, so mm. even if we had made the decision as yet, we couldn't have done it this week. I know, week, but yeah. the Taoiseach didn't fire next, her, so no, where's the motion? Yeah, but I mean, I think in some sense we were uh, giving her the opportunity to see if she could give us confidence that she was going to put things right and I've heard nothing. I don't know if anybody else has heard anything that would instill that sort of confidence in you that um, Dublin or any other town or mm. village is going to be um, any less safe or, or more safe, if you like. Um, and you gave her that opportunity to see what she was proposing or what, what was going to be done. And um, she stuck to our lines that, you know, this mm. Dublin safe and she um, condemned the rioters obviously, but um, I've seen nothing, you know, thus far from her that would give me confidence that from mm. walking up O'Connell Street or anybody else um, that that there's sufficient guard or resources that people can feel safe going across um, any aspect of Dublin City or any town for that matter. I mean, you've actually become accustomed to not seeing a guard anywhere, you know, mm. and if you do see one, you actually say, oh, there's a guard that's how bad it's got you know okay. that you actually nearly point and say there's mm. a guard because you're just not used to seeing them so yeah. and community yeah. policing has been stripped stripped you know bare mm. almost and she is responsible for that and okay. she's allowed that happen but a, a decision will be made today will it? yes as far as I'm aware yes okay yeah. well we'll watch that space as they say we'll also be watching the empty space <laughs> or two of them in the Louth constituency uh, when uh, aspiring politicians go to the polls uh, but your name won't be on the ticket uh, as uh, you've told us this morning thanks for coming into us uh, and uh, I'm sure we'll be speaking uh, many times before, before the general election Thank you indeed. Sinn Féin TD for Loud and Eastmeath and Meldemans. Michael at lmfm.ie The Michael Reed Show with Airgrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones.
Did I hear you right, Mike? Question mark, uh, says one of uh, the texts, and we've many text messages uh, that have already come to us uh, this morning. Did I hear you right? Uh, Melda Munster is not standing in the next general election. Massive loss for her beloved Drogheda. She's always for the people, says our caller. Thank you. Uh, indeed, you certainly did hear Melda Munster say that she will not be standing in the next uh, general election after 20 years in public life. Melda, well done on 20 hard years work enjoy your family and new plans that's from Sinn Féin councillor Tomás Sharkey uh, another WhatsApp message uh, from Paddy who says Michael I'd like to paraphrase an opinion I heard regarding Minister McEntee she told the country that Dublin was a safe place weeks ago yet the commissioner has ordered tasers cameras and longer truncheons that's a joke, Paddy says, but he says, uh, does the common not trust the minister? Uh, thank you uh, indeed uh, for that, Paddy. We'd uh, Another text then from John who says, it's sad to hear a public representative telling people that uh, Dublin is not safe. Uh, that's uh, referring to an elder monster who said Dublin is not safe. Uh, John says, sad to hear uh, that from a public representative. And he also says uh, Drogheda and Dundalk are unwelcoming at night as well. The unfortunate truth, perhaps, John, thank you indeed for your text. Uh, we'd uh, somebody else in touch uh, who said, uh, this is Sharon Sheehan, who says, you're uh, one in a million, Amelda. You've helped so many people, including myself. Uh, Tony in Dulik in touch saying, Jed Nash must be doing handstands this morning with all of uh, the retirements in County Louth. Peter says, Amelda Munster is one of the rats jumping off the sea sinking ship that is Sinn Féin Sinn Féin have forgotten about the Irish people and turned into a globalist party this is the tricolour thing uh, anti-immigrant thing uh, that we were talking about with Imelda Munster I think Imelda Munster answered Peter earlier on I wouldn't say Peter liked the uh, response Tom and Navin in touch with us saying Michael just wish Imelda well pity she's going Helen McEntee pushing through hate speech laws but then she calls people scumbags this is not good enough, uh, he says. And uh, he goes on to say, if uh, government ministers um, act this way, uh, well, then it shows that she's incompetent, by the way. I'm not in any way standing up for the people who looted or set fire to the vehicles or assaulted the Gardaí. She has to resign, though. The world is watching Ireland. And to see a minister going down to that level is not helpful. That's uh, Minister McEntee referring to the rioters as scum. Uh, Mick and Kell says it's not safe to walk around Navan. How could it be safe to walk around Dublin? Uh, another Michael in Navan in touch too saying, Michael, great to hear Imelda Munster speaking. She is a very honest politician who is not afraid to speak up. But if a change is to happen in Ireland, it has to start with our European ministers. We are an independent country in theory, but we are dictated to by the EU to allow non-vetted, oh yes, um, well, we, I think we have our own position uh, on immigration, uh, Michael, um, and I, I think there's uh, more of that stuff about Sinn Féin selling out Ireland in that comment uh, as well. Uh, pity that people would have uh, taken this opportunity uh, to push that uh, fascist agenda. Anyway, um, 
I suppose we're not meant to call people names, uh, but we all fall into categories, don't we? Anyway, if you'd like to make comment on the programme today, our telephone number is 0419832000. That's 0419832000. If you want to ring us, you can text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Now to more of your comments, an email comes to us from Jerry Floyd who says, so we are not to describe the Dublin rioters as thieving scumbag thugs. It appears it would hurt their feelings. They are apparently marginalised youths, idiotic, woke leftist cobblers. Of course, I must be a fascist for contradicting these woke leftist morons. As for the pretend lefties in the doll, total prats, give them the poor robbing scumbags, marginalised thugs, the power to overthrow elected government ministers and the Garda Commissioner. Careful what you wish for, you may get it in spades. As I say, that's an email from Jerry Floyd. Thanks uh, for your message, Michael, at lmfm.ie is our email address. And on that subject, an interesting letter that uh, appears in the Irish Independent today, uh, and all the more interesting uh, because it's written by Michael Callan, who is a retired Garda in Dundalk, and he says, the Minister for Justice has referred to the policing authority to seek clarity on the use of force for Gardaí. This raises two profound issues for the public and Garda management. Based on the Minister's referral, it seems at least some Gardaí currently policing our streets are uncertain on how to deploy a graduated force response and the law underpinning it. Secondly, it would appear that teaching approaches to informing recruits in the Garda College on this topic are ineffective in conveying the essential crystal clear knowledge to all officers on this crucial policing function. Does this request by the minister, the person who has overall responsibility for law and order in the state, for clarity from the policing authority, amount to a damning indictment of Garda training? What's going on? That's a question, as I say, that's uh, posed in a letter written by Michael Callan, retired Garda, uh, who is in Dundalk in County Louth. Now, if you'd like to make comment on our programme today, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 0419832000. That's 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. And some more of the comments that are are coming to us uh, this morning and great to be getting so many comments uh, from people. Uh, Helen in Kells uh, says, Michael, what other name in the book could you apply to those people? Uh, Other than scum, I take it, Helen says. Uh, It's uh, peculiar, really, that we're having a debate over whether you call riot or scum or not. And I think that's Helen's point. Uh, She says, Helen McEntee got it right. Uh, But then I suppose you look at the other side of that and the argument that Lynn Ruan was making, which was, if you call people names, you're never going to make peace with them. In fact, you're going to make enemies of them. Uh, And it was most unusual for a government minister to use that language anywhere, but particularly uh, in the Dáil Chamber. Uh, we'd uh, James Kelleher in touch, uh, who said, Michael, sad to say, but us dubs uh, need... Um, uh, 
to be uh, brought to book, I think, is uh, what uh, James is saying. A Paul Kersey from the Death Wish films uh, would do the job. <laughs> I'm not sure who Paul Kersey is, James, to tell you the truth. Uh, which is why I stopped. But I, I have a feeling I wouldn't want to meet him down a, a dark alleyway. <laughs> Thanks uh, for your message. Uh, we to Tommy and Kel's in touch with us uh, as well. And Tommy says, I have to go to the matter. Last time I, I thought I'd have to walk down O'Connell Street and went into uh, the Peace Garden at the top of O'Connell Street. He says, the smell of pee and the amount of drug paraphernalia, litter that was there. He says it was just unreal. And um, there I was actually, um, whatever they were doing, uh, then I walked down O'Connell Street, didn't feel comfortable there. Uh, I was wary of everything around me and I'm quite a big lad. Sorry uh, it's so long, uh, the text, I think. Thanks, uh, Tommy, for that. Uh, Thanks very much, Tommy, for that, for sharing your thoughts with us. I think it's probably all the more difficult uh, for men to say that um, they feel anxious uh, in certain conditions or in certain places. Uh, I know that I hate uh, not to feel safe anywhere, Um, but uh, Dublin of all places is one place uh, that I would like people to feel that they are safe or that they can feel that they're safe. That certainly has been the message from the government this week. Your assertion that nobody saw this coming is a water-weak defence. Everybody saw it coming, Minister, and for months. When the news broke that children were stabbed, people held their breath for even a hint that the perpetrator might not be Irish. They knew this would be exploited by those who seek to sow hate, division and mayhem. Very soon after the attack, organised agitators were on the scene, working their phones, starting to plan the havoc that unfolded. It was obvious to everyone on the ground that this orchestration was happening. In fact, a member of Mary Lou Macdonald's team brought it to the attention of Gardaí. That's uh, Louise O'Reilly, Sinn Féin TD. I think uh, we may have heard that in the programme yesterday. Uh, But we'll return to that uh, debate uh, that took place in uh, the Dáil uh, and we'll hear some more from it and some more indeed from Minister Helen McEntee now. We know who... (laughs) I beg your pardon, um, not actually going to play that clip for you uh, because that's Paul Murphy uh, who uh, told the Dáil who was responsible for the riots uh, under what they call parliamentary privilege. It's on the Dáil record if anybody wants to check it. And of course there will be lessons learned. An event, a catastrophic event of this size, there will be lessons learned and there should be and on Garda Síochána and we as a country will be the better for it. When it comes to the school and those children... I have been in contact with the principal numerous times. I have been in contact with Angarda Siakon and not just the commissioner, but local Gardaí in Store Street. All right, that's Helen McEntee. Uh, and we did hear Louise O'Reilly uh, talking uh, earlier on and uh, Helen McEntee was uh, very critical of, of her, her party and her party leader. When I spoke to the Garda Commissioner last week, when I spoke to Garda members, I spoke to them <coughs> to offer my support. When your deputy, when your leader rang the Garda Commissioner, one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It was to call for his head. When people in this country want stability, all you are interested in is providing instability. You, That's the difference between us and you. That's the difference between this government and your party. Right, let's hear from the Sinn Féin leader. And don't tell me about everything you've done. You've mentioned two Garda stations, just for people who don't know, and some of us do. Um, Fitzgibbon Street is not a new Garda station. Ha ha, you closed it for more than a decade. The Garda station on O'Connell Street is a desk with some unfortunate, usually there on their own, and you could literally be about to breathe your last breath out on the street, and that unfortunate can't leave the desk. So don't come in here and play a game of make-believe. All I've heard from you is uh, fig leaf, an exercise of the most brazen arse covering that I have ever heard in this chamber. Children got stabbed outside their school. We never, I never thought that those words would come from my lips, that that was possible in our city, but it happened. And then not alone that, the children and the community is doubly traumatised by this marauding mob rioting in our city. And control of the city centre was lost for two hours. That's what happened. And I want to know, what's your real response to that? Because what we witnessed, make no mistake, was a political failure. A wholesale, abject failure of leadership. That is what is missing. That's Mary Lou MacDonald, uh, the Sinn Féin president, uh, speaking in the Dáil. We've uh, a text uh, from Sean who says, if Miss McEntee was born in the slums of inner city Dublin, she herself would be part of the lower class. No silver spoon, no money worries, no posh college education, no well-paying job. If she was born in inner Dublin, she herself would now be classed as the female equivalent of a scumbag. Um, Thanks for that, Sean. I'm really, really disappointed that you feel that way. Uh, I think what you're saying is that anybody who was born in inner city Dublin is a scumbag. I'm, I cannot tell you how so disappointed as somebody who was born in inner city Dublin I am to hear that, Sean. Um, I, I don't think that uh, is at all fair uh, and that is a personal opinion. 
Uh, I'm not allowed to give personal opinions, uh, but I can't stop myself. Uh, that uh, just sort of grated with me. Uh, Peter in Dundalk says, Michael, I'm very sorry to hear Imelda Munster is not standing in the next election. She was a breath of fresh air and a woman of integrity. Well, thank you for taking the time to let us know, Peter in Dundalk. Uh, Mag Y texting saying, a big huge to Imelda and to Fergus for decades of unrelenting representation for the people of Louth and East Meath. May I wish both of them a very happy, healthy and enjoyable retirement from politics. Hopefully the clinics uh, they've established over the decades will remain for the incoming new candidates. Thank you indeed, Mag Why God knows how far out the next general election is, but I'm sure we'll be hearing from both Imelda Munster and Fergus O'Dowd in the coming days, weeks, months, year possibly more than that uh, up to March 2025. But thank you indeed uh, for sharing your thoughts with us. We're delighted uh, to bring them to everybody else and indeed to Imelda Munster and Fergus O'Dowd for that matter. 0419832000 or number if you want to come and text or WhatsApp 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie When and where they need it. Well, thanks to Chris, who says best of luck to Imelda Munster. He'd like to hear more about Imelda and less of a political broadcast. Uh, thanks. I take it that was uh, before the interview finished. Uh, Martin uh, in touch too. He says, where was Drew Harris when the riots were happening? Was he even in Dublin? Uh, I think not. Uh, I think, uh, I can't remember where he said he was, uh, but uh, he was in constant communication, he said, uh, with his top cop in Dublin at the time. I think Martin probably knew that when he was sending that message. Uh, I suppose, you know, if you are somewhere else, Martin, in fairness, and a, a ride kicks off somewhere else, uh, how uh, can you be in two places at the one time? Jerry says, why are we blaming the Gardaí and the government? Uh, they're not responsible for the scumbags looting and destroying property. Why are people all concerned about their rights when they didn't care about anyone? Uh, an email, then that comes to me from Danny, who says, Michael, it was bad enough to be losing Fergus O'Dowd, but now to hear Imelda Munster is leaving the stage, it's beyond words. She'll be very sadly missed. Her honesty, integrity, passion, intelligence and determination has been so refreshing in this tawdry world of Irish politics. I wish her great success and happiness in whatever she goes on to do and thank her for her very major contribution to accountability and responsibility in this country over the years. As I said, that's uh, from Danny who emailed Michael at lmfm.ie Now, Johnny Gurk, Sinn Féin TD for Mead West joins us. Good morning to you, Johnny. Thanks for joining us uh, on the programme uh, this morning. We're going to talk about that massive meeting in Kells last night with landowners, 300 landowners or so, who turned up concerned about Airgrid's plans for the north-south interconnector. But uh, I understand uh, that the first you heard of Imelda Munster's resignation was on the radio this morning. Do you wish to say something about Imelda now? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, um, Michael, we're all going to miss Imelda. She was somebody that I got on well with. You know, if I wanted a bit of advice or um, she's somebody I would go to and I would ask for it, you know, and she was a great worker. She was she was known right across the party, Michael, as being somebody that worked very, very hard, a straight talker, no messing, you know. Uh, you know, there was there was no ball with her. You know, she was she was straight up um, and definitely she's going to be a big loss to the party, Michael, and she'd be a big loss to us all because she, she, she was a, a huge asset. Yeah, well, uh, I thought it was very surprising news. I, I thought she was a star on the rise, uh, given uh, the attention.
attention uh, that she's received from Irish media, particularly because of the Public Accounts Committee and uh, the Media Committee hearings into RTE. So that's a, a challenge now for Sinn Féin to replace somebody as valuable as her. Uh, no doubt uh, that will be dealt with uh, through the conventions and so on. But uh, let's go to Mead West now and your constituency where people, it appears, are up in arms about Airgrid knocking on their door asking them if they want €50,000 or to be paid, for that matter, for cables to go over their land. Yeah, Michael. Um, I, four years ago, Michael, I was at a meeting in Kells about the same issue. And I have to say, I was there last night. And there were, I, I believe, Michael, there could have been between four and 500 people there. There was a massive crowd there, you know. And when you see that 93 to 97% of landowners have told Airgrid that they don't want their money, they don't want to engage with them, you know, uh, landowners are are after 15 years are more resolute than ever the more determined the more united they've, they've, they haven't waned a bit in 15 years so it's very very hard to see this project going ahead if landowners uh, stick to what they were saying last night Alright uh, I must say we did uh, invite Damien English from the Gale TD in your constituency to speak with us today and uh, Shane Castles uh, a Fianna Fáil senator to speak uh, about this uh, today neither uh, available uh, but you were at the meeting last night uh, I, I don't think uh, the two two politicians I mentioned uh, were uh, but uh, do you sense um, defiance. Uh, do you believe that people will refuse entry onto their land if it gets to a stage and it seems inevitable at this stage that it will get to a stage that court orders will give them the right to do that? Uh, I know Porrig O'Reilly says uh, that that's not possible but uh, I think Airgrade would challenge that. I think many others would challenge that and I think that the expectation is that they'll come with the court orders and uh, the support of Ungardishi Economy. Well, I don't know if it goes to that, it'll get very, very messy. But uh, what what you had last night, and it was was uh, nobody has has waned. Nobody is willing to take their money. You know, there's, you know, normally like when you offer that kind of money, you'd have people um, that would break ranks. You know, and if if the landowners stay together, stay united, I can't see uh, with with 93 to 97 percent of them sticking together. There's no way. Uh, that this project will go ahead and that's my honest opinion uh, Michael right. um, Airgrid says some people have already given permission well, it must be a very, very, very small um, percentage of people because the, the figures last night was, uh, you know, 93 to 97% out of out of 250 uh, landowners. You know, they, there's 400 land holdings affected. So if it's if you're talking like, um, you know, three, 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 three to 7% of, of people have agreed and, and the other 93 to 97 haven't. Like, it's a very, very small minority of people who have agreed to this, you know. So if, if it was a, the other way around, you could see the project going ahead. But if the landowners just stick to what they were saying last night, this this project, as it is, is dead in the water. OK, we heard one uh, landowner, uh, or the son of a, a landowner, uh, run Airgrid off uh, their farm on the programme yesterday when we were speaking to Porik. Uh, I think others told the meeting last night that they did the same. 
Yeah, I mean, several several landowners uh, spoke there last night. You know, there was there was none of them in favour. They've all said that um, if Airgrid, you know, they 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 seem to be coming to houses uh, unannounced. Well, they say um, that they're going to be calling. They don't say when. They don't say what time or anything. So uh, it's a surprise. And an awful lot of these landowners are older people, and it's not fair on them either. You know, so they don't help themselves in a lot of cases uh, with how they operate. You know. <laughs> mm, but the damned if they do, and damned if they don't. I suppose uh, people would be giving out if they didn't have the courtesy to knock on people's land before turning up with a court order to knock on their door before turning up with a court order yeah, well, um, it, it, all this is going to take time and probably years. You know, it's gone on for 15 years already. And what I've seen from last night, the people involved uh, are more resolute than ever. The place was packed to the rafters there uh, uh, last night. There was people, uh, there wasn't enough uh, seats for people to sit down. They were standing all around the hall. You know, so if people stick together like that mm. and, um, you know, everybody knows that that this project is needed and they, they, need, they need to look meaningfully at, at underground and it's like, you know, it, 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 like in two thousand, in April two thousand, uh, two years ago, uh, um, or two twenty twenty one, the 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 Taoiseach at the time said if they could underground um, the Mead Kildare line, uh, that they should be able to underground the North South interconnector, and, and we we believe that. Are people willing to get arrested? Well, there was, there was no talk um, of, of, of civil disobedience or there was no talk of anything like that last night. There was no talk of protest. Um, I think, in fairness to the NEPP, uh, they have run a very dignified, well-run campaign, yeah. one of the best mm. campaigns you've ever seen. But we're know, coming so. down to the wire here now. I mean, Airgrid is anxious. The clock is ticking on this project, which uh, needs to be completed by 26, isn't it? Uh, so they have to get onto the land. They have to get the pylons and the cables onto the land. Uh, it's going to happen in the short term. And that's why they're knocking on doors now to get permission. Well, the, the, the long and the short of it is if landowners accept their offer, the project will be delivered. But based on last night's meeting, mm. it appears landowners remain very united and, and, and in opposition to this. But, so, but, uh, but, but, but the project will be completed with or without the permission of the landowners uh, unless landowners prevent Airgrid or ESB from getting onto their land. Well, I, I don't know um, what processes has to go through where 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 they they can, but all this is going to take time, and you're not talking today or tomorrow. I, you know, I don't think there was anybody sure last night of a time scale if they go this route. But you're ta- you could be talking a couple of years, Michael. You know, like this is not something that's going to happen mm. overnight. You know, so is is Airgrid willing to um, carry on as they are, or are they willing to uh, look at me? Yeah, but Airgrid has a plan. Uh, I mean, what's the plan against that plan? Because Airgrid is coming, whether you like it or not, they're going to erect the pylons uh, and uh, put the cables in place. So how are people going to stop them? If that's against the will of the landowner and Airgrid is saying we're going to do it whether you like it or or not, uh, well then uh, if there is no plan, I presume the pylons will go up. We'll see the north-south interconnector constructed. Well, are they saying that, Michael? Are they saying that they're going to construct it if, if yeah. they haven't the support of any of the landowners? You, you know, you know. Yeah. Um, well, Air, Air Grid have said that they will be uh, going to the courts if that's what's necessary. 
Well, I don't know. Um, it's very hard to do anything if you don't have the support of, of local communities. Like, and it's not just the landowners affected. Like, you have you have you have you have, you have local residents. You have um, you know local communities. Like, you know, and they all see the, the value of their houses being affected. You know, mm. they see different things. You know, and uh, and 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 the other thing is, but when they, there they, is another. Ar- Ar- would say those arguments are over. You know that they've yeah. gone uh, through the planning process. They've gone through the courts and they've uh, looked at all the options. Uh, and the decision is done. Uh, it's been approved by the government. This is a, a government decision. Uh, there is no stopping this now. Uh, uh, but, uh, I mean, a, as you say, uh, it's a doomsday scenario that I'm, uh, I'm painting. Uh, but in that scenario, there is the real prospect of communities being divided because some people won't be able to afford to refuse this air grid offer. Yeah, and I mean, like you, you know, you you'd be looking at it last night, and you said like maybe there is um, landowners that it could be in financial difficulty, and they may need the the money. You know what I mean? And you, you know, it's very hard to um, be hard on them. You know, you know, but uh, there's. The majority of the landowners um, have said that they're not willing uh, to to take Airgrid's money or engage with them. But it's it's very hard to see, Michael, how they're going to do this if they had if they had a couple of landowners that they had to deal with and go in and and and, and um, you know forced away or whatever. They, you could see that being happening. But if nearly all the landowners, if they have to do that with nearly all the landowners, it's it's I cannot see this going ahead. Okay, uh, determined uh, three hundred people. Would you say last night in Kells? Well, I, I would have said that there was somewhere between four and five hundred. There was a massive okay. crowd. I had like you know, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right, but uh, a sense of determination. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and everybody uh, more resolute. You know, you think after fifteen years, this thing would have the support would have waned and uh, a bit. And but the determination uh, uh, of of the people there last night it hasn't waned one bit. If anything, it's more more determined they are now than they were fifteen years ago. You know, and um, and the thing about it is, like United, uh, they the stand divided, they fall. You know, and if 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 the landowners can stay as they were talking last night, um, this project won't go ahead or right. overhead. Okay. Well, undoubtedly we. We'll have more discussion on it in the coming weeks and months. Uh, we leave it there for the moment. Johnny, thank you for joining us today. That's Sinn Féin TD for me, the West. Johnny Gurk, as I mentioned, we did extend invitations uh, to Fine Gael TD, Damien English and Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles to discuss this with us uh, this morning, but neither were available. Uh, a comment uh, then from somebody WhatsApping us who says, while wishing Imelda Munster nothing but good luck when she steps down from her job, she will be mighty hard to replace. But the grandstanding and point scoring by Louise O'Reilly, that's uh, waving uh, the piece of paper with the photograph of uh, the man who had soiled himself, and MacDonald, that's Mary Lou MacDonald, the Sinn Féin president, as usual, throwing stones and not one constructive idea put forward as usual, mouthing off, says our caller. Thanks for sharing your thoughts with us. 0419832000 if you want to ring, text or WhatsApp 086 1800 658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. 086-1800-658 The Michael Reed Show brought to you by Airgrid managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it Now Boliden wrote to staff at uh, Turnamines uh, yesterday saying it intends to present a rescue plan for the mine in January 
The aim, they say, is to reopen in the second quarter of 2024. Let's speak to John Regan, SIP2 organiser. Very good morning to you, John. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, that means, in other words, that Belayden's hope is that Tara Mines will reopen in April, May or June of next year. Uh, on the face of it, if nothing else, that's very welcome news, I take it. Yeah, look, it is positive. It's it's uh, certainly a step in the right direction. It's what we've been asking for for over three months uh, in meetings with the company. Uh, a tentative date, that's what we've got now. Uh, it's very loose insofar as it's conditioned on all the markets being in the right place. And um, the the fact that they are linking it in as well to having to get an agreement with the group of unions and of course, um, you know, that's it's disappointing to be hearing it in that way because if it all collapses, they want to blame us for the collapse as well. So the letter is, uh, uh, in the main, it's welcomed, but there is negativities in it. Mm. Uh, and um, some of the other negativities in it is that the first worker, based on uh, the company saying that it will be back in operation in, or could be back in the second quarter, which commences in April, and happy days if we could get people in the gate um, even earlier than April, but at April at the latest, we would be doing quite well under the the terms that the company are setting themselves under. Um, April would be good, but equally the second quarter runs on to June, which would leave workers coming up to a year on layoff at that stage. Mm. And it's only, that would be the first worker going in, the reality is, in 2001, uh, it took seven months uh, for everybody to return. So you're looking at January 2025 before everybody would be back in the employment based on previous uh, experiences. Do you think so, that's a, a more realistic time frame? Do you think uh, the idea of anybody being back mining in April, May or June uh, is too optimistic? No, I don't think it is, because again, in their letter, they have talked about already extracting the proposals that the group of unions put forward uh, pre the announcement to to lay everybody off. So they have extracted everything that they believe is worth extracting, and it is part of a plan that they are going forward with. So that is um, obviously productive and it is welcomed, but again, they haven't engaged with us on this. Um, they were to engage with us a few weeks ago under a facilitation process. And again, they breached that, the terms of them, uh, uh, the terms of reference for that engagement by not allowing us to have a joint facilitation. Uh, and, and, and when you think about it, to deny us that on proposals that we put forward, uh, it's again puzzling as to why the management would be adopting that uh, approach. And they've laid people off, which you say is in breach of uh, the WRC agreement uh, that you have with Belayden. How many people have they let go? Well, they've let go, not laid off. Everybody is laid off that is laid off. Sure. But there is people mm. receiving letters terminating their employment. Yeah, this but, is termination mm. of employment. Mm. And they've done that with, what I'm told is... But that's, make, that's making them redundant. I don't mean to play with language, but just as I understand it, uh, that, that these people have been made redundant, I take it. No, they're, they're, they're just terminating their employment because they're on fixed-term contracts. Ah. The, 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 um, as far as they're concerned, 
um, they don't see redundancy on this. They haven't advocated in the letter of uh, termination to any of the workers that they're going to pay redundancy, okay. uh, which is totally uh, unacceptable. The reality is they also parachuted a contractor in in the last few days into the mine uh, without consultation. They terminated employments without consultation with us. So there really are, okay. uh, their mindset is not in the place where you would like to be uh, to try and get this mine opened earlier okay. rather than later. I, I, I'm still kind of struggling to understand that, John. Forgive me, uh, uh, maybe um, you could explain it to us again. If the contract has, if the term of the contract ha- has run out, are they not entitled uh, to say, well, we're quits now. Uh, uh, effectively, I, I take it that's what the company I- is saying. But you're saying that there's a breach of the agreement. Were you expecting that those uh, contracts would run over? Yeah, in the agreement that we agreed and a letter of comfort that went to all employees suspended their current contracts. Everybody's contract is suspended. And therefore, the termination date of any fixed term contract is also suspended. There was never any discussion around any implication for a group of workers of any nature. So they are clearly in breach of the WRC agreement and their own letter of comfort because it didn't uh, narrow it down or it didn't broaden anything on uh, people that might get caught and be outside of the terms of this. But they've unilaterally decided these workers don't even deserve a meeting and they didn't call us in. Right. And tell me more about the contractor then that they've hired under these conditions. That does seem peculiar. Yeah, it's it's another, again, you can't get into this company's mindset. Um, the way they have uh, just decided they needed somebody into the finance section of the, of the, of the company uh, is just unbelievable. Um, and to do it, it's bad enough to do it in normal times, bring a contractor in without consultation. But to do it when workers are on layoff uh, is, is, you know, really rubbing salt into the wounds. Right. Uh, relations are, are, are strained uh, to um, downplay it. Uh, you, you, you talk about a bitter taste in the mouth of uh, employees in your statement. Uh, I, I take it relations are fraught at best. Well, look at uh, Michael, of course they're fraught. There is six months of layoff at this moment in time. We're coming into the most uh, pressurised financial time of the year for Christmas. Workers most certainly need an income. And the state machinery or the state support benefits is not good enough for them. Uh, equally, the company uh, are not doing enough as far as we're concerned mm. to try and alleviate Uh, and get this mine open earlier rather than later. Uh, Have Uh, you meetings planned with Leiden? No, there's nothing in their letter suggesting a meeting. They have written to the WRC um, saying that they're available for to come back into conciliation, where um, less than six weeks previous to that, they Um, refused to go to the WRC. So again... They're, they're not engaging with us in the way that we would like them to okay. be engaging. Uh, and I, I take it there's no prospect of a gesture, if you like, that the company might make to its staff going into Christmas. Well, look, at the terminating people's employment would be a good gesture to overturn that again. Equally, uh, the contractor that is in there 
we've reason to believe that there isn't a need for it. Why they have done it, uh, they seem to be hiding behind uh, company uh, legislation, which, you know, every piece of legislation when you're in a care and maintenance, we would contend, has to be suspended. And why they have done what they've done is is just, uh, you know, very strange. But they're two things that if they actually overturn them and if we can get them overturned, uh, we would most certainly be, be creating a climate to be able to engage on all matters. We have, unfortunately, uh, heading to the Labour Court on the 18th of December. Um, and uh, it's, not what the, it's not in the manner that we would like to be going there. We would like to be going there if we had to at all rely on the Labour Court in a joint way that the company would be in agreement to go there. Instead of that, because of frustrating time, frustrating procedures, acting the way they have been acting, we have had no choice but to get this into the Labour Court. All right, John, we leave it there. Thank you very much indeed for joining us Thank this you. morning. That's uh, John Regan, SIP2 organiser. At lmfm.ie. The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Shane McGowan drank and he got drunk to the extent that he couldn't stand up. He loved his drugs for that matter and he never downplayed how he was always out of it. Yesterday he died aged 65. If there are any questions, uh, one of them has to be how did he live that long with uh, that cocktail of substances in his blood but also how in that haze did such genius shine through in all of his work lyrically, poetically and musically the best mind in Irish music's history uh, Gentle Punk who was Irish and loved to be Irish what can you say uh, about Shane McGowan? I certainly am one person who would be lost for words other to say that he was one of my heroes Uh, and I think of him this morning uh, by quoting uh, the final verse of my favourite Pogue song and now I'm lying here I've had too much booze I've been shat on and spat on and raped and abused I know that I am dying and I wish I could beg for some money to take me from the old main drag let's speak to Stuart Clark who's the deputy editor of Hot Press a very good morning to you Stuart and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning Uh, it was very sad to hear of Shane death yesterday. It was no great surprise, though he had been sick for a very long time. He had, although he always thought he'd just bounce back for a few more years. You know, we've done this too often this year, haven't we? Christie, Sinead, and and now Shane, three really, truly unique Irish voices lost and um, their legacy. Well, I mean, what an incredible range of songs that uh, Shane wrote. Mm, absolutely. Uh, and indeed, uh, a lot of the time people were very surprised when they stepped back and read those lyrics that we were all pogoing to, uh, because there's real poetry in his work, isn't there? Um, bizarrely, as I heard the news yesterday, I had in my hands that just right back from the printers are Shane McGowan and the Post tribute issue, which was meant to be to an alive Shane and the fact we're doing an exhibition with the Pogues and the family in Victoria Mary in, in Epic, which will still go ahead with their blessing. 
Um, so I spent the last kind of two months really immersing myself in, in, in Shane. And, and the history is quite remarkable. I mean, from a personal point of view, I was a young punk in um, London during the 70s and would have seen um, Shane O'Hooligan at, at gigs, The Clash and things like that. And he fronted a band called The Nips. I went to see them and they performed a song called Gabrielle, which is a, a real favorite of mine. Uh, and he sold a, a punk fanzine called Bondage. So, um, you know, he was a, a real face on the punk scene. That's how I first got to know him. Yeah, and he was well known around the punk scene, dancing. I think he uh, is seen in one of uh, the early Sex Pistols videos. Uh, Trying to remember that, uh, Susie Sue beside him. I think what happened was he was at a, a, the 101 Club for the punk festival and a rather over-amorous girlfriend bit part of his earlobe off. And that made the enemy, the melody maker and sounds, there was blood gushing. So he was an infamous character. And obviously he brought that punk energy and defiance and applied it to trad music, which had become a bit of a museum piece. You had to sort of sit down and watch it almost behind a rope. Yeah. And he gave trad that much, needed to kick up the backside. A lot of trad purists were absolutely horrified. Mm. But we hear now the you know, resurgence of, of trad with the Mary Wallopers and Lancome. And they will all admit readily that without Shane, they wouldn't exist. Yeah, I saw Lancome pay tribute uh, to Shane uh, as uh, the most iconic figure in Irish music. Uh, But remember very well uh, when the Pogues came on the scene uh, and the talk, as you say, the purists uh, of uh, traditional music were just outraged. Uh, I think it nearly ended the career of the Dubliners because of how uh, they didn't just associate with uh, Shane and the Pogues, uh, but also uh, appeared with them. Yeah, I, I think the official sort of kind of seal of approval came when Liam Clancy covered the broad majestic Shannon. And that in itself is interesting, Michael, because a lot of the songs were very contemporary and could only have been written in the 80s and the 90s. But the broad majestic Shannon sounds like it could have been an Irish standard from 100 years ago and has belonged to the canon for, for, for decades or centuries. Mm. So there was a, a, a cutting modern edge, but also a timeless quality. It, it's interesting. I'm English through and through, no granny from Mayo. But I have many London Irish friends who all say the same thing, that they didn't really feel Irish, didn't totally feel English. And when Shane came along, it was like, this guy speaks for me. This is my tribe. And um, he was a a tireless champion of the underdog, uh, the outcast, and people who fell through the the cracks. And I think because he gave them a voice... Um, that's why people bought into him so wholesale. Yeah, uh, and uh, I think uh, the old main drag uh, certainly makes that point. Uh, he was a very nice fellow, wasn't he? He was lovely. I mean, I interacted with him sort of a few times. The most memorable night would have been I was DJing with him and for him. It was in a nightclub at about half ten, and I was in the DJ booth, and Shane would hand me the records. And uh, yes, he was a little um, relaxed. And I think we played some light opera, could have been Mario Lanza. He gave me some classic blues, a bit of punk rock uh, and some Motown. And that was, as I say, a busy nightclub, but everybody danced to it. What he was, and a lot of musicians funny enough stopped being this, is a fan. He just loved music. and He was always very well um, up to date with who was breaking through. I, I know he was very proud of people like Lancome. He felt you know, a, a kindred spirit there. Really, yeah, no, no great surprise there. Uh, but uh, when uh, you look back on Shane McGowan's life, uh, I, I take it uh, many people will describe him as a rebel. 
and that would only be appropriate. He was what should be part of uh, the youth generation uh, and indeed uh, the fact that the older generation hated everything about him. They hated the way he looked, the way he spoke, the way he sang, the music he played, how he was destroying Irish music. That's what rock and roll is really, isn't it? I don't want to be the old duffer saying things were better in the olden days, but it strikes me now that any aspiring young musician wants to sound exactly like Adele or Ed Sheeran. We all know there are so many clones where Shane was truly unique, and the more people told him to do something, the more he kicked back against it. There's a brilliant documentary called The Crock of Gold, and there's a very telling line, and I'll edit it now because it's a daytime radio show. Mm-hmm. He said in the 80s, if you want Paddy... I'll give you effing Paddy. And he almost weaponized his Irishness to kick back against the people who criticize him. But more to the point, you know, treated the London Irish really badly. Uh, as you say, the, the, the old drag, it's, uh, you could write a film based on those characters. And I have a, a, another London Irish friend who, who heard that, realized through it what was going on on the streets of London and went into social work. Mm. So it really did inspire people. He spoke truth at a time when people were trying to airbrush unpleasantness. Nobody in the yeah. UK was talking about the North in any way. Shane said, no, I'm going to write a song called the Birmingham Six. The BBC banned it. And in a way, you know, he wore that as a, a, a badge of pride that he was significant enough for the BBC to ban him. Yeah, uh, and I, I will remember, uh, as many people listening to us, seeing Shane on stage many times, not able to stand, and somebody holding him up quite literally. But uh, if he was physically... Uh, out of control, he was certainly in control of the arena. He always delivered and he would have however many hundreds of people in front of him going crazy to that wonderful music. It was a guaranteed party. I saw them once, the Pogues in the Barrowlands in Glasgow, which is one of their many spiritual homes. Mm. Um, I think it's interesting for for this special issue, uh, Nick Cave penned a a beautiful piece. Mm. And I consider Nick Cave to be one of the finest songwriters of his generation, any generation, and indeed he is. But he said he was a mere novice compared to Shane. When Bob Dylan was last in in Dublin from the stage, he did a shout out to Shane and said, we love your songwriting. Springsteen, when I met him briefly, said, you've got some great songwriters in Ireland. My God, Shane McGowan is superb. Mm. So if Bruce and Bob and Nick say you're doing something right, you're obviously doing something right. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, Stuart, thanks uh, for joining us. I I don't even think it's possible to pay tribute uh, in such a a short time to such a huge genius. What a great mind. What a great loss. Uh, But he'll be remembered fondly, the late Shane McGowan. Stuart, as I say, thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Stuart Clark is the Deputy Editor of Hot Press. So that's our programme for today and this week. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. Listen back to the Michael Reed Show podcast on lmfm.ie or the LMFM app. The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie.